0: Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skircia. And I'm Josh Kalecki. And today we're talking about Backpack Hero, developed by indie developer Jaspel, along with other contributors calling themselves Team Backpack. The game is in early access and will be released in May of 2023. Uh, Josh, you brought this one to my attention. So um, yeah, what what, what made you uh, interested in playing this one?
1: Oh, it's a game I kind of heard about uh, towards the end of last year, and I was looking for a kind of nice short holiday game to play during, over the holiday. Um, and this game fit the bill so well, um, I was intrigued by its kind of premise, which was the idea of you level up by leveling up your inventory, like your backpack, the, you know, the titular backpack hero. So I played this one and really liked it, and I got Brian to join in right before he had a second child. And still had free time.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, This could be considered like the last game I played before that, but also I guess the uh, first game I'm casting on after that. So uh, interesting time for me to be recording a podcast. Um, (laughs) At any rate, I had a great time with this game, Um, and the sort of short, sweet sessions fit very nicely into the limited time I had between uh, preparation uh, for for kiddo and post-kiddo. So I I really had an awesome time playing this game and the various... um, iterations uh and characters and runs that it that it has i i guess the whole pitch of inventory tetris meets slay the spire was too enticing for me to pass up really
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know that's something interesting you manage is or something interesting you mention is that the game is fairly short too like um Mm -hmm. there are three different levels you go through you probably go through i don't know maybe um eight or nine combats a level maybe like eight to twelve um per like each of those three levels so it's not a long game you can probably get through a whole run in an hour hour and a half or so
0: yeah i'd say that's basically my experience i mean your first and and second maybe run are going to be your longest ones just as you're learning the mechanics and you know identifying all the items and learning sort of the game's um nomenclature for you know what you need to be doing with regards to your inventory and the items that are in it and where they're placed. And then after that, it becomes very much like a game that's quick to learn and you're suddenly very fluent in it. Um, I think I like that a lot about it is that it's it's quick to learn, uh, especially from a roguelike perspective, which also sort of, you know, usually roguelikes place a premium on learning the game's uh, language and, and becoming fluent in it. And this one seems to be more inviting than, than most in that regard.
1: I think a good part of that we'll get to this a little bit later on, too, I'm sure, but a good part of that is that the basics like the basic moves were very mm-hmm. leg legible. It's like, okay, what do I got in my um it's like what do I got in my backpack? Okay, I've got a shield and a sword. Mm-hmm. I know what to do with these. Yeah,
0: exactly. I, I think that that first sort of screen where you get your backpack and you have to place the first three items you get into it are, it, it's a masterstroke in tutorialization from my perspective. Um, but before we get too deep into the game and its mechanics, let's talk a little bit about who made it. Uh, I mentioned up top Jasper who's the primary on this one. Uh, he's been making games for like 20 years and he teamed up with developers uh, by the, that go by Binary Counter and Gangs Robin to... Um, basically kickstart this game and back in 2022 uh in april they kickstarted it to the tune of 223 thousand dollars uh Woo! <laughs> roughly 10xing their uh requested amount so good on them really a fantastic response there
1: yeah i think they started their own um kind of dev studio after something like that uh which mm-hmm. makes sense you know you get almost a quarter million dollars to make a game obviously you want to make a good one after that and make sure everything's on the level
0: yeah yeah that, that's seed money right there and um no i think t- t- basically looking back at like the history of the kickstarter there was just a continually adding of of you know a sensible scope that was was added as a result of those various stretch goals being mad additional characters modes etc cetera, etc cetera. and um you know we we i having just basically found out about this game and playing it very late in its early access period i can say that everything that was put there has been delivered upon you know like <laughs> um you, you said good on them for you know making sure they correctly manage this and, and from my perspective they absolutely did you know these things seem very well delivered upon um, there's lots of great you know interesting modes and additional content that seems to have been added based on what i saw on that historical record being the, the kickstarter so you don't <laughs> always see that so so good on them for that
1: Mm -hmm. yeah it's easy to start a kickstarter and you get like a lot of success with it you know as as we do all the time with our uh, (laughs) podcast Kickstarter now um, but it's easy to like get money like that and you kind of lose track of the scope of the game and you're like and let's make it an MMO (laughs) to start up our own internet ISP while we're at it I don't know which one of those
0: is easier considering the time frame that this was funded in, I'm surprised they didn't do NFTs. <laughs> 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 I'm actually not surprised that these guys actually seem like smart people. Um, hmm. <laughs> but at any rate, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with, um, you know, the, the place that I came to it in, as I said, late and early access. Uh, as of the time that we are playing this, we're, um, as I mentioned, late and early access. There's a 1.0 launch uh, to steam coming in May of 2023. And, uh, I'm excited to see that. I'm excited for where this game continues to go, but uh, let's talk a little bit more about it in the state it's in now. So why don't you give us a quick overview, Josh?
1: This is, in a phrase, roguelike inventory management. Um, It is a roguelike, a la Slay the Spire, where you're going through a map, fighting enemies, doing encounters, fighting bosses. Um, But the way you do those combat encounters is by using things from your backpack. Uh, whether it's a simple dagger and shield, or whether it's something more complicated like a chain of magical spells that you fire off, um, rare gems that give, you know, any weapon diagonal to them a certain bonus, or uh, various things that cause status effects. Uh, so you are kind of using your inventory um, and then trying to pack in more powerful things as you go along.
0: Yeah, I think the, the synergy is kind of the name of the game here. Like the making sure you can take the things that you want, leave what you no longer want behind, and continually building, basically in, in the same way that you would in like a Slay the Spire, a deck, uh, building an inventory of things that synergize nicely with each other, except instead of playing them as cards, you are placing them as inventory items, you know, as you said, Josh, using adjacency bonuses and things like that.
1: I thought that was one of the interesting things about its take on Slay the Spire is that everything here is entirely deterministic. Like, there's no you draw five cards from your backpack and it shows you the five moves you have available. Hmm. Uh, You Mm -hmm. always have everything available. And that could make it a lot easier to get like a winning combo going because you knew it was reliable.
0: Yeah, that's very true. And you can sort of um, tailor the way you're playing your hand. Not that you couldn't tailor the way you're playing a hand in in sort of a card-based version of of a similar type of game. But um, the fact that, as you said, everything's sort of on the table at all times makes it much easier I guess to formulate a strategy you're not sort of hoping for a draw um, you, everything is much more deterministic and you're a lot more in control of your build which to me like adds a great deal of uh, satisfaction to this I think that's one of the things I struggle with with um, roguelike deck builders is that some element of luck is built in and usually minimizing that aspect of um, your, your deck or your build is key to success uh, but you can only minimize RNG and luck so much. And while that's true here, it's true to a much, excuse me, a much lesser extent.
1: Oh, for sure, for sure. And another important thing they took from Slay the Spire was that your enemies' turns were known ahead of time. If they were going to attack you, you knew exactly how much damage they were going to do. Or maybe they're casting a curse on you, and you know you don't have to do any shielding this turn.
0: Yeah, and um, in addition to that, sort of your main currency for action um, is carried over as well. You are, you know, having a specific amount of energy you're given each turn uh, for the main character. And I guess for the most part of this explanation, we'll be talking about the sort of default character purse. Um, You have energy and usually using an item or a weapon or shield or what have you costs energy. Um, although I personally found that finding zero cost or zero energy cost items was really a key, uh, portion hmm. of my strategy personally for, for success. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Brian was all about the shivs, I bet.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely a big shiv guy. Um, getting lots of adjacency bonuses, lots of sort of quick, small attacks with, at least with that initial character, obviously your builds have to adjust as you choose the different characters, but that was my first victory was having a, um, a shiv build with, um, with Purse. And uh, yeah, it was really satisfying sort of learning that, um, you know, figuring that out. And I I didn't really look up anything about this before I started playing it. I just tried to like intuit it from other games I played. And yeah, it it came, it came very naturally, which I think is a a tribute to this game.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Um, It builds slowly on itself. Like, I think I remember chatting with you about this game. And I, I remember there was one moment where you're like, wait, there's positional bonuses on these things? (laughs) Like, it's when you realize that, oh, that's how they're doing this inventory management.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was sort of the light bulb moment. Like, um, that was, yeah, like, right after I started playing, as you said, and it um, clearly, you know, didn't have much success until realizing that. But um, after that, it it quickly became a um, a much more interesting experience and and understanding all that. That being said, there is another currency for... um, you know, working through uh, damaging your opponent or um, having other effects uh, within your inventory, and that is mana, which is your sort of magic build counterpart. Uh, and you you gain mana generally by collecting uh, mana spheres or orbs, and they be they have to be connected to a network with all of your other magic items in your inventory. So if you have mana spheres next to magic items, they fuel them, so to speak. It's mm-hmm. really interesting. Um, how how that works, and those items are what is called conductive. So basically, energy can flow through quote-unquote conductive items, um, which is a really interesting thing to have to do, you know, managing sort of a pathway through your inventory.
1: Yeah, it is interesting how they do that, because it adds another level, a kind of I mean, you can talk about adjacency bonuses or kind of row or uh diagonal bonuses. Uh but also having to build a road so to speak through your backpack um, mm-hmm. is an interesting way to take things too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh I personally I I think I kind of went 50/50 on this. Like I found myself using a combination of magic and weapons, you know, energy cost items to on most of my runs, you know, maybe it was just like to supplement damage or something that I knew I could use as a finisher or something like that. Um, but maybe the other side of this coin that I want to make sure we talk about before um, getting out of combat generalities is armor, uh, because your character obviously has limited health and your enemies are always attacking you. As you said, Josh, they're always clearly signposting what they're going to do. And most of the time, that thing is attack.
1: There's two ways to get defensive guard numbers in this game. The first is you use energy to activate a shield, and the shield will give you a decent amount of guard bonus. But then you can also start building up this armor, um, which takes up a lot of space in your inventory. That's the kind of trade-off you have to go for there, especially as you have like a full suit of things <laughs> going on. But if you get a good armor thing going, then you have... You can start off where there's a lot of stuff that can't touch you unless it's poison or other status effects.
0: Yeah. Um, I personally uh, was a big fan of armor over shields. Um, I I just found it to have sort of armor, given the fact that it was an auto-equip thing. Like, you know, basically instead of spending energy raising a shield, you could have armor, which uh, auto-deployed armor, for lack of a better word, on your character on any given turn. Uh, that just seemed preferable to me personally. I'm not saying that I like have a a master's in uh, game theory for this this game or anything. (laughs) That was was my, uh, my particular feeling on it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I think I almost always had some armor going on. Um, It wasn't always enough. I wasn't always going for like the turtle shell, Uh, but (laughs) be using some wise modifiers in order to do things like I think there was one build where I had boots and a helmet and nothing in between, maybe a glove or two. And it was enough for a lot less uh, lot less space than putting that full suit of plate mail in there.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can, you can go real overboard with, um, you know, making sure your character is quote unquote kitted out with, you know, what would traditionally be a full set of armor, but that is not necessary in this game. In fact, I think it would be detrimental in, in most cases. You want to make the best use of the space given to you. And usually that means you got like a left glove, a pair of boots and a a chest plate and, you know, uh, (laughs) or a helmet or or something like that. You know, you, you don't have every single piece and that's okay. Um, You know, you, you get what you're given in the course of the dungeon, uh, which I think is um, maybe what we should talk about next is sort of, um, you know, the things you're given in the course of this dungeon. We've talked a bit about energy and weapons, shivs, especially, um, but maybe we talk a bit more about some of the other random things you get um, I'm thinking of like healing items and potions and mm-hmm. uh, other random rarities that uh, I didn't find a ton of use for honestly I don't know if you you felt the same
1: um, the potions and these consumables like the food these are all zero energy sort of things and some of them give you more energy which is nice uh, The for the shurikens um, which was a common item you could get that cost zero energy, did some damage, and then disappeared. Um, I did have one really good uh, archer build. Mm. So what the archers do for the weapon is you fire a bow or a crossbow, and then all these, yeah, it gets bonus damages based on the arrows that it's firing, and the arrows get bonus damage based on the empty squares next to them. So when I was doing this build, um, those shurikans were a lot more useful because I'd always have space for them. I start a battle off, throw out all the you know all the shurikans, and then I have the empty space that's really like part of my build. So I'd have uh, space for things that I wanted to get rid of right away, and that would kind of constantly refresh itself, which was an interesting way to kind of like you you play archer and you're also playing a lot of like tiny item consumable things too. Archer alchemist maybe.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. See, I, I don't know if I ever ran a build like that and that is like that does sound fun because I feel like the game was always giving me those like potions and shriekens and um I always had like you know, <laughs> I had my weapon and my, my armor. So I guess I was more of a traditional sword and board well no board. Sword and um bulwark um sort of person and i think that that, that's another thing that's very nice about this game is there seems to be a great deal of build variety that you can do and it almost sort of asks you to experiment with that type of thing rather than necessarily um you know forcing you down one pathway to success um so it sounds like you you got pretty far with an archer style build
1: yeah, yeah. It, it was a fun fun one to play. And it's interesting, yeah, because you don't start off saying I want to be a mage or I want to be a warrior. Mm-hmm. In traditional roguelike fashion, you are given items along the way and you have to figure out what's the best, you know, what's how can I best jury-rig uh, duct tape a bunch of like arrows together and find the best way to use the items I have and win off of those.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the the build is part of, the, or finding the build is is part of the fun, right? <laughs> You're not gonna. <laughs> um, it's gonna be serendipitous. Um, I, I would say there's one thing about this game that I think, um, you know, compared to something uh, that is a bit more longstanding, like you know, we're gonna keep comparing to Slay the Spire, but um, here it is again. I feel like there was a lack of build evolution for me here. Um, I feel like the, the game right now is built in a way that it, at some point your build just sort of gets locked in place because you got a certain combination of items early on, and you're basically going to go with that until you win or die trying. Um, mm-hmm. That was at least how I, I generally felt about it. I wouldn't say that's like a huge strike against the game because, you know, if you find something good, you have a great run. If you don't, maybe you're spending a little long struggling or, you know, you're not successful and you know there are, in, in roguelikes that is usually a possibility you know you're not going to win every time but I, I will say that I often felt that I could detect pretty early on uh, whether I was going to be successful or not
1: One thing I think the developers do to mitigate that is, I think the game is very well paced. Like mm. it ends after three levels. I don't know if it would be better if it ended after five instead. Um, mm. But you kind of take the builds to its conclusion and then you're done with it. Um, you move on to another character or another build when you start over again. But I think they purposefully made it where it's um, not as long. I mean, you know, compared to Slay the, Slay the Spire again. Uh, I hmm. think it's a shorter game than Slay the Spire. I oh, yeah, think, like, for sure. each individual level is shorter, or seems that way, at least. Um, but I think that's done purposefully.
0: Yeah, that, that's a good point. And maybe what I'm detecting about the very quick discovery about whether or not I'm going to succeed or not is just the fact that... Um, it's a quick game, or quicker than than most games of its ilk. And uh, personally, to me, that is a wonderful thing. I love a short game. <laughs> um, especially think, these days, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, especially these days. And um, I, one thing I, I thought about this uh, immediately was that this game seems like perfect for an iPad or an iPhone, even if you are able to get the UI to, to play nice uh, with such a form factor. But I, it just really strikes me that this is one of the games that I would just love to have on an iPad for like a flight or something like that. Um, <laughs> and it, it has the perfect sort of runtime, it has the perfect sort of user interface where you're dragging, dropping, touching, flipping, you know, it is tactile. It is a very tactile game, you know, that all of the items when you pick them up um, some of them are heavy some are floaty and they will like immediately drop to the bottom of your inventory or fly to the top of it and it always looks and feels very satisfying I think it does a lot with like sort of the completely non-essential inbuilt weight and heft of an item that is underrated for a game like this
1: yeah uh, I could see something like the drag and drop mechanics working very well with a with that kind of form factor.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, hey, maybe. Uh, Maybe a a stretch, stretch, stretch goal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to make sure you mentioned curses in brief earlier, and I think curses were a really interesting thing that um, I had to learn to deal with through the course of this. Um, Curses basically... As I understand it, they'll I'll basically disable an item or adjacent items to where the curse is placed, and you have to expend energy to dispel them. So basically, it's sort of the enemy's way of keeping you from acting or harming you in the process of you know, keeping you from act as well. Um, and the interesting thing is they can carry over. So if you have a big inventory, you can carry curses over from battle to battle if they're not affecting your build all that much. You could also end a battle too soon, as I did on one very unfortunate occasion, (laughs) and carry curses over into a much harder battle than the one you just left.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of unwanted inventory.
0: Yeah, um, I I thought that was a really elegant mechanic, and um, there. I guess we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but there are situations where you can um, deploy curses of your own through getting characters onto your side and they deploy as boons instead or blessings, um, which I thought was a really elegant solution to what does a curse do when it's directed at your enemies instead of you. Um, so I, you know, I think this is one of those, uh, the devs thought of everything moments, and I really appreciated that.
1: The curses were a fun touch, I think. Like, if you have a curse on you, it could do different things. It could do some straight-up damage to you. It could make it that you burn yourself if you use any of the items next to it, Uh, because you always choose where to put the curse. Um, I think one of my favorite curses was that um, if you use any items near the curse, it gets anchored, which means Hmm. you aren't able to move it for three or four combats. And when I first saw this, I thought, oh, that's... That's, that doesn't do anything. I'll take that. That doesn't sound so bad. And I was cursing myself for that a couple combats later when, you know, I couldn't move my bulky suit of armor out of the way and interact with the mechanic of rearranging your inventory.
0: Yeah, it's worth mentioning you can rearrange your inventory outside of combat whenever you want, but curses can only be dispelled in combat. <laughs> yeah, so, you have to
1: spend energy on doing it.
0: Right. So that that was a, an interesting strategic choice, too. Um, I really, uh, you know, there were some, I think the most tense moments I had in this game were, uh, realizing that I had screwed myself with a curse and needed to like figure out how to deal with that either in an upcoming combat or, you know, maybe it's moving around the area to take on a weaker creature before I challenge the, uh, sort of floor, more powerful boss creature and, and move on.
1: one of the first things i loved about this game was its level up system you do get a little extra hp in this but you don't get like oh your offense goes up by however many numbers who cares you unlock extra spaces in your backpack and in a great touch you are able to place or choose these spaces yourself like level one you get i think four new spaces and you can Put them in a horizontal line leading out one way. You can put them, you know, make a square somewhere, um, adding on to what you got. But that allows you, that factors into your build as well. um, Because the types of items you know you want will kind of influence which way you want to expand your backpack out. Just a really cool way to, like, drive home the inventory backpack-ness of it.
0: Yeah, and we haven't touched on other characters yet, but other characters have really interesting twists on how they augment the backpack, you know, with um, (laughs) Satchel, for instance, a character who gets pockets, you know, instead of augmenting the the backpack that you have with um, additional slots, you are adding basically like a Tetris piece shaped uh, spaces, either attached to your current one or completely different from it. Uh, forming what is, quote-unquote, a pocket. I thought that was really interesting. And uh, Pachette, the final character, uh, summons critters that have inventories of their own. Uh, Basically, it's bags of infinite holding within your uh, current inventory Mm -hmm. that you can deploy and then use the items within.
1: I did really like that the summoner in this game summoned more backpacks.
0: (laughs) backpacks we get back- backpacks <laughs> um but no I, I like that too very very clever um but yeah it's a it's a cool uh progression system and very novel you know like how do you progress in a game that's so- solely about inventory management well you get more inventory uh, it's very <laughs> <laughs> it's very logical
1: When you're going through the dungeon, there's three different levels in each of these three different dungeons. Um, They each have three floors themselves that you go through, Um, all of them ending with a boss, including the final boss of the game. Uh, They do have some good variety with the bosses now. I actually thought the boss encounters were a little bit of a weak point of the game, like, compared to something like Slay the Spire, um... Again, <laughs> that seems to be our theme today.
0: I mean, it's a great game. It's hard not to compare games to Slay the Spire.
1: <laughs> I felt like um, I, I would see what the final boss was there, and I would adjust my character and build even in order to prepare myself for this. Whereas the, I never really felt like the bosses here had too much, I don't know, um,
0: theme or flavor to them they didn't force you to adjust your strategy all that much is what you mean no no okay i can i I wouldn't say it's a boss character that forced me to do that but in uh the third level there was one encounter that i felt uh forced me to adjust my strategy a little bit and it was uh i think it was a boss possum and a sword master basically like a really strong attacker and then a character that would summon additional characters in the same fight so this was obviously a very difficult battle and um I wasn't powerful enough to take either of these two out in a single go, so it became very much a war of attrition, making sure I was getting enough status effects on them to wear them down um, while, you know, managing the, the summons that came in. Uh, it was pretty thrilling, and I, I think there's a room here for additional encounters of that type that force you to sort of use your build a different way um, to happen. Uh, as you said, Josh, I don't think there's a ton of these there yet. I think there's nascent forms of these that are starting to come in. Um, and I'm interested to see where it goes from here, but to, to your point, um, most of the time I had like, I found the skeleton key for beating an encounter and just spammed it and either won or lost based on that merit.
1: (laughs) I suppose that is the, uh, kind of downside of the deterministic combat. If like, all your best stuff is available to you every turn, then you use the best stuff.
0: Yeah, you have a rotation, right? This is like MMO combat. First I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, wait for the cooldown, do this again, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, uh, I didn't think I'd find myself describing this as MMO combat when I started this podcast, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, it's um, it's interesting that you sort of do, like, build up a rotation for yourself um, as you you progress through this, and if you find a good enough rotation, you win, and if you don't, you lose. Um, I don't want to boil it down to that simple, because there's a lot that goes into building that, and I think that's where the joy comes here. It's not necessarily in the execution, it's in the strategy, right?
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like, the the combat, I think the combat was good combat. Like, I don't think there was anything lacking in the combat itself, but... The most fun parts of the game for me were when you roll those new items yes. and you come across <laughs> a new one to grab and you're like, ooh, but that means I could do this and this and this. and I've got to go back to the backpack and rearrange things now. Like that was the <laughs> best part of this game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And here's an, an interesting part of that is the most fun item I ever found was another bag that I could put in my bag. Oh my gosh, I I love that bag. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what you could do is, if you found an item that maybe doesn't work with your current build, but you're like, oh, but I have an idea. If I just had this one other piece, this would be unstoppable. So you put that in your other bag. Now, note, the bag in a bag cannot be used in combat. So you're basically putting this item in reserve for later at the cost of an inventory slot. So there's a cost there, but at the same time, um, it usually pays off because you can either use it or sell it. Um, and to that uh, point, maybe we need to mention that there are also encounters other than combat in these dungeons. There are shops, there are uh, mystery events like spin the wheel to get a uh, an item or a matching mini game to give you uh, powerful items, things of that nature.
1: I thought these were fun encounters, especially because a lot of them would be like, hey, here's some fun new items you can get. Uh, but other things like the smith, I love the uh, smith and upgrade system in this game, too. It was, you know... Um, doesn't sound like a lot. It's like pay X amount of gold and you can upgrade a weapon by a little bit, um, or upgrade armor or what have you. Um, but I think it allows you to really like feel like that sense of progression. When you start off, you have a shiv that used to do Mm -hmm. two damage and you upgrade it a few times and now it does like eight poison damage as well or something like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really enjoyed this myself and, uh, Feeling that extra sense of ownership over the, you know, random short sword you picked up on the first floor and have slowly but surely upgraded into, you know, a badass piece of equipment is, is fun. I didn't often have that happen. Usually I ended up, sh- you know, shuffling things in and out of my inventory pretty quickly until I found something, you know, rare or legendary that I wanted to really stick with. But then you got to customize those and it felt really good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, uh, we're, I was just thinking about poison for a second. I want to shout out to this game for having a... Um, there's two basic damage uh, damage over time uh, effects. There's burning, which happens at the beginning of a critter's turn, but it can be blocked by armor. And there's poison, which happens at the end of a turn, but cannot be. Um, and they had the great system of if... Like, there's a monster with 10 HP left, and he has 12 poison stacks on him... He doesn't do anything that turn. He's just like, Uh, I'm dead.
0: Really? So it'll subvert the order for, of the poison for the fact that he is doomed to die?
1: Yeah. It actually felt better than stacking up burns on somebody because you almost get like this moment of anticipation where you're like, like if you get a stack of burns on someone, it's their turn and they're just gone. Um, but right. if you get a stack of poisons, then you get to see the fun little like poison skull above them. And you're like, ha, you're not going to do anything. <laughs> and you're just going to... Sit around doomed. And, uh... <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, like, uh, diegetically, if you're so poisoned that you are literally going to keel over after your next sword swing, you're probably just going to keel over.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what they say. You know, it's like the monster's too sick from poison to do anything.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. That is a good, um, uh, very subtle change in, in the way that y- you would expect it to work that I think um, is generous to the player, which I think in general, this game is generous to the player. Um, which is something I'm increasingly fond of in my roguelikes.
1: So this game had a number of different classes to it. There's the default fighter, Purse, your basic mouse, um, who has the combat backpack, all the standard rules apply to her. That's kind of how you learn the game. And definitely a very worthwhile mouse as well. Like, um, I almost didn't play any of the other classes because I felt like, no, this is the this is the game right here.
0: Yeah, and, and this is where like the game sort of story comes in. Like basically you're you're a mouse. You're setting out from their town to find the, you know, the cheese at the bottom of this dungeon, and that sort of sort of sets up the whole like reason why you're doing this dungeon delve in the first place. Um, But yeah, this is like the default character who has the the basic mechanic that we've been talking about this whole time. But as we also mentioned up top, there is a Kickstarter that added, uh, to date, four additional characters uh, to the game. Tote, the frog, CR8, or Crate, (laughs) the robot, uh, Hmm. Satchel, who is a bird, and Pachette, who uh, is, I could see it as like some sort of rodent. I thought who that uh, pine, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Something that is affinity for bugs, because she summons additional critters who are bugs. Oh, uh, she was raised don't...
1: by bugs, if I remember her backstory yeah. correctly.
0: <laughs> That's right, raised by bugs.
1: Raised by snails.
0: Yeah, all of them have really interesting uh, sort of twists on the backpack mechanic that uh, sort of drastically change the way that you need to play. Um, none of them are sort of as pure and simple as the uh, first character purse the mouse but i think all of them are interesting Um, and personally i I really enjoyed playing as satchel the bird who would charm characters onto their side basically finding friends in the dungeon is how they, they put it you know you get musical instruments you get their charm above the number of their hp and they join your side and start attacking the enemy and my strategy personally was just to literally charm everyone, and the battle battle ended. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I um I went through runs with tote satchel and pochette. Actually, I didn't really like tote at all. There's like you summon these spell items or something like that, and maybe there's some depth to it. But I just went back to purse for a while after I tried out tote. Uh, but the week before the podcast, I tried out both satchel and pochette, and really enjoyed both of them. Um, but yes, satchel has his instruments he likes to play the flute and charm the enemies it's kind of like doing happy damage to them I guess (laughs) yeah Uh, (laughs) exactly um but some interesting things especially with the pockets because a lot of the items he gets is like you do um x number of damage or x number of charm to the enemy based on how many instruments you have in other pockets or how many um you know things like that that kind of made it interesting because he had these little like uh, unattached backpacks
0: the unattached backpack thing was really powerful for me too because there are a lot of items that um could uh have bonuses or big debuffs based on what they were adjacent to so if you can sort of siphon off into a specific pocket the items that need not to interact with other items. I'm thinking of a specific relic that cannot touch weapons or armor or else it disables them. Um, That is very powerful in, in a very powerful use of a pocket that can be deployed. Um, so it makes you think about sort of the items that you've been building up this vocabulary with um, with your default character purse in a different way, which I think is kind of the best case scenario for how you can look at these sort of various characters. Um, as I understand it, people really get into CR8, the robot, um, because they basically build lanes, uh, sort of like connecting a pipe between items, and then you basically have a circuit that flows through them and it sort of deploys all of those things in in a specific order. So Huh. whereas Sounds you could shoot yeah whereas you could choose the order in, in every other inventory that you're managing um cr8 is more sequential and uh a very very different play style that i didn't play it around a ton with but i want to experiment more with going forward
1: mm-hmm. and then uh pochet is summons like bugs bug friends uh pretty interesting like um each of these bugs will take up an uh, inventory space or two in her bag. And they're able to use her energy supplies as well as co- come in with their own energy. Some of them get energy if you turn. Some of them just start off with some energy. Um, some of them give energy to their nearby friends and things like that. Um, but each of these bugs has their own tiny backpack. And all of these tiny backpacks are, you know, you're not going to be able to get a lot of adjacency bonuses with these things. Same thing with the pockets and satchel. There's not a lot of room to stack a lot of things next to each
0: other. But what you can do is deploy a uh, gigantic amount of items with all of this energy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's very true. Especially, like, um, for Pochette, po- for um, there were some really nice bugs I had that were just, like, filled with axes. Like, this bug has <laughs> nothing but axes in it, which do extra damage with no energy cost. Um, but they only do damage if you don't have any armor. And I'm like, well, whatever, you're a bug. You don't need a helmet. Um, and it worked out really <laughs> well because I could have my defense bug first and then my other tinier backpacks filled with axes just slicing at the enemy behind behind them.
0: I love it. Yeah, that, that's another, like, sort of in a similar way to the pockets, just sort of making sure you can make the most of the adjacencies while making sure not to have the, the debuffs associated with the... Uh, um, the the similar items, um, so yeah, I think all in all, I think the the top class purse is, you know, I think still my favorite. I think satchel for me might be a close second, but you know, all of them have something to offer, something interesting, something that like um, is an interesting twist on the the mechanic that is worthwhile. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's interesting how they explored the mechanic with that. Like, I liked what you were saying about you take these new characters and the items that you knew so well as purse now have different value some of them are much more valuable because of the specific conditions that you have with the different classes which is really interesting to do
0: Mm-hmm, for sure um and i think it increases that sort of replay value from a roguelike perspective um And uh, overall, I I think there's only room for even more of that as the game continues to evolve and balance and refine and, and add items and characters. Uh, one thing that I think is not to be underrated about this uh, is uh, just sort of the the art and craft that went into it. Um, Binary Counter is the primary composer on this and has an excellent soundtrack that you've been hearing probably throughout this podcast. Um, really sets the mood. It's really um, a nice sort of chiptune-esque soundtrack. And then, uh, of course, it it is just really nicely rendered in a pixel art uh, art style. Um, you know, all of these cute animals and and various enemies Uh, are really nice to look at the items are all unique interesting and um well communicate what they do uh despite being just you know um you know x by x pixel art
1: Uh, yeah the art style was really well done with this uh there were some good lively animations that the Mm. game had um things almost like grace notes that they didn't need to have like um when you're presented with items to pick from at the end of a combat, your character's like dives into their backpack and their leg- <laughs> legs are wiggling up in the air. It's kind of cute.
0: Yeah. And there's a really nice economy of animation with the dungeon traversal, too. Like you'll see your character walking, but the background will move slower in sort of a parallax way. Um, and then just a character will just sort of appear. So you could tell that there's like not a lot of. Um, I guess, energy expended to to render what is going on there. But it doesn't need to be rendered in such a way because you're staring at your backpack anyway and sort of thinking about what you're going to do in your next battle or what you need or want.
1: Oh, especially after all that is after you get your new items and everything and you're imagining how to throw them together.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I just think it's very smart the way they deployed their um, effort in terms of what they did with the art and, and music. You know, I think the... Uh, if, if we're talking about, like, bang for your buck, and, and I'm speaking as a, a person who backed this Kickstarter, which I, I am not, but if I'm thinking like one of those people, I think they put everything in the right place here. It's just very well deployed.
1: Very much so, yeah.
0: Well, with that, let's um, reach into our backpacks and pull out a three-word review. My three-word review is Bag of Tricks. Backpack Hero's core conceit is incredibly simple, yet lends itself to a wide variety of outcomes. The Slay the Spire meets Inventory Tetris gameplay is easy to learn and always entertaining. Playing the default character Purse is a ton of fun and allows experimentation with different approaches, builds, and branching pathways in the dungeon. The other characters and playstyles are just icing on the cake. The other side of the easy-to-learn coin is usually hard to master. Unfortunately, I don't think Backpack Hero is there yet. After a few runs it becomes pretty apparent to me early on if you're going to be winning or losing, and the lack of build evolution kept Backpack Hero from being as steep as something uh, comparable in the genre for me. But that doesn't keep it from being just as fun and engaging on first blush. That being said, this is a game that's continually evolving and is still in early access at the time of recording, so I think there's still plenty left in this bag of tricks to make the experience even better. I recommend it in its current state, but I have a lot of optimism for its future.
1: That's a very good point. Like, I kind of agree with that this game doesn't have a deep mastery in the the way that uh, Super Smash Brothers does (laughs) or something
0: like that. And maybe it isn't meant to.
1: Yeah, I think the fun of it is not in like, oh, you won this nail-biting combat, but it's, ooh, look at these shiny things and figuring out the cool way to put them in your bag.
0: That's a good point. the the, um, the joy of experimentation here may not be in the how do I circum or how do I surmount this incredible challenge, but in how can I break this? <laughs> Which is always fun.
1: That's a good roguelike thing. All right, all right. My three word review for the game is organization the game. Backpack Hero <laughs> is a wonderful little game that takes a typical video game chore, inventory management. And makes a game out of it. It expands it beyond the normal, can I fit a third set suit of plate mail in here if I drop a scroll? By having pieces give positional bonuses to each other, and by having the backpack itself become part of your calculations. Nowhere is this more obvious than the level-up mechanic, which rewards you for winning battles by allowing you to add more spaces to your inventory. A thoughtfully balanced dungeon ensures that the game never lasts too long and that the mechanic doesn't overstay its welcome. It's a game stuffed full of goodies and takes its mechanics to its satisfying conclusion. If you've ever been frustrated by the inventory mechanics of an old CRPG game, this game is the perfectly organized antidote.
0: Mm hmm. <laughs> Can't agree more. Uh, inventory Tetris made fun, for sure. <laughs> And with that, we want to say thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to share it with folks you think might enjoy it as well. If you want to get in touch, drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or contact us on Twitter at pixelplaypod. And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha.
1: I'm Josh Kalecki.
0: Take care and keep on packing.
1: So you were talking about the tutorial at the very beginning, and I wish I mentioned this then, but uh, they force you to rotate an item during the tutorial if you're going to fit them all in, which is a great, like, way to have a tutorial without having a tutorial.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. You know, um, I, I didn't even think about that. I just sort of intuited it, and... Yeah, I mean, I have even more respect for the tutorial now. That's, uh, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: like, here's three items. You haven't done anything. We're not trying to make you pick between them. You could fit them all in if you just, like, rotate this one 90 degrees. There you go.
0: Done and done. Yeah, very clever. Um, I, 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 I very much appreciate that as sort of the, the first screen that they show you just how to start your interaction with this game. Love it. So speaking of those items, the, you know, you may only see the the first three on that initial screen, but obviously we get a lot more. Um, do you have any favorites that you came upon in your delving through the dungeon?
1: I think one of my favorites, there was a gem I got in an early run. And it was a legendary gem, and it added, like, plus three damage to any weapon that was diagonal to it, and at, up to this point, I had just been playing with things where it's like, oh, this gem adds uh, bonuses to things next to it or uh, this armor gives bonuses to other armor next to it and working with that diagonal was kind of like a opening up the doors for me of like oh there's other things this game is concerned with
0: (laughs) absolutely i think my favorite i have i have a couple one is I got a sword called the Vorpal Sword that was uh, key to my first victory. And finding a bunch of buffing items, like the one you uh, just discussed there, Josh, um, to basically turn it into like a one hit killing machine for, for most enemies was <laughs> uh, really, really fun. The other one that um, I really enjoyed was a crown that if you killed an enemy with any attached spell in its mana network it regenerated four mana in that network so what this allowed me to do was buff a wand to an insane level and use it as my killing wand just every time i used that wand i wanted to make sure it was killing (laughs) someone and then it would regenerate four mana so i could use it two more times and it would kill someone i would use it two more times and it would kill another person (laughs) it was extremely satisfying um, and just things like that that this game allows you to do and build. Is, you know, it's it's the magic of the game in a nutshell.
1: There's a lot of different ways the game lets you, or even encourages you, to break it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's, that's a mark of a good roguelike if I've ever seen. One. <laughs>